Blog Talk Radio. Hi, and welcome to episode number 152 with McCall McPherson. I am Dana Bowman of Third Nation Radio Live Talk Show and Podcast, and Tiffany Mlodnich will be with us here shortly. We are uh, doing a live show today that will be recorded. We're waiting for McCall to call in, so just give me one second. Okay, guys, I feel like we should do the um, TikTok sound from Jeopardy. Okay, here we go. Hi, Tiv. Hello, love. How are you today? I'm so good. How are you? Pretty good. That was a How are- that was a tight one right there. <laughs> Yeah, it sure was, but we're not really live live, you know, nobody's listening at this particular time, so we're good, right? Well, then that, yeah, right? That's good. How are yeah, you today? And I'm great, I'm great. I want to um, go ahead and get McCall's bio read so you can learn a little bit about her yourself because I know you don't know too much. I'm going to read it really quickly, and then she's going to be calling in here in just a moment. Okay, let's see. Well, maybe I'm not going to. <laughs> yes, correct oh, to your text. Goodness. Correct to your text. Okay, I am going. I'm going to read it really quickly. I'm sorry. What? I said we're a little rusty. We are rusty. My goodness, that's so pitiful. Okay, here we go. Okay, McCall McPherson, fabulous lady. She's the founder of Modern Thyroid Clinic, a thyroid-centered functional medicine practice in Austin, Texas. A physician assistant recent TEDx speaker, and a thyroid patient and guru. Her passion for perfecting thyroid treatment stemmed from years of her spring due to the mismanagement of her own thyroid. Now she lives, breathes, and thrives understanding the nuances of proper thyroid care. Her philosophy is simple. There is no reason to still have thyroid problems, and she spends her time helping her patients back and teaching and advocating other millions suffering who aren't her patients which is a great, great, great thing. We're so glad to have her on the show. She's going to be calling in here in a moment. I'm so excited. Okay. Can you hear me, Tim? I can hear you now. It sounds like you were breaking up really bad. I don't know if that's me or you. Oh, okay. But, um, yeah. Yay. Okay, so now now that we've got that out of the way, um, I did talk to her about her TEDx talk, which is really, really cool. We'll have to dig into that on the show uh, here in just a few minutes. Yeah. But before we get her, how are you, honey? I'm doing good. Can't complain. Four kids yeah. and crazy business, and but life is great, you know? Yeah. Yeah. For I'm um, part driving. For the most part, right? And and right, me too, you know? I mean, and here I am in Asheville. I think last time we spoke, I was in Colorado Springs and now living in Asheville. Right. Um, it's just been a crazy, so crazy curious. whirlwind. I'm curious. Do you feel better in Asheville at all? It's a little bit higher altitude, right? A lot more greenery, a lot more water. So a little bit more um, humidity. Would that be fair enough to say? 
Yeah, it is. Well, okay, so Colorado Springs was 7,000 feet above sea level, and this okay. is about 2,200 feet above sea level, and um, okay. it's, a, it's very similar to, co- to Costa Rica. And so um, I don't know, Tiff, Do but I'm telling you, I feel better than I was when I was in Colorado Springs. Okay, I'm thinking Colorado Springs because, you know, there's altitude sickness, which can affect a lot of people with thyroid problems. So right. I really have just, you know, we have been, you've been so busy with thyroid refresh. We haven't had a chance to talk. And I have right. been dying to ask that question if right. you feel better with change of location. I do. I do. And, you know, uh-huh. my husband has this, my husband has this longitude latitude thing where he's like, where you're born <laughs> You know, like if you look at Dallas and you go across the map, um, almost directly Asheville kind of sits across the United States. It's really very, very bizarre. He said you know, something about the weather, and I don't know if he's right or not, and that's just something, um, you know, <laughs> that, that, of course, he made up. But, um, you right. know, it, it seems to be, I don't know, it seems to be true. It seems to be true. Very, I you know I don't know, babe. I think that's a thing. I'm I'm going with Ben Ben Lynch's scorecard. I think there's a big mm-hmm. thing with thyroid patients. There's so many areas that are specific to endocrine disruptors and things like that. I'm thinking some people, just like he said, he's got to tell them you need to move. I'm still going with that. I don't know. Yeah, I'm curious. To I agree. There. Right, it'd be curious I, to know out there in Thyroid Nation and Thyroid Refresh and all that, or any, what location, like where people feel the worst, like if there's any correlation to that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, truly. I mean, and then his thing about water, boy, Tiff, I have never forgotten that. Right. If your water is know. not good, move. And you're moving, and I move. And the thing is, I'm not sure that Asheville's water is any better. But the location is better, and I have my Berkey, and I'm working on some some filters for the house and shower filters and things like that. So, you know, I'm doing the best I can with what I've got. But um, he he was definitely on something. Who did we tell? Was it it Ben Lynch that also brought up the shower filter? Yeah, it was him. It was him. That's right. You're right. Because, you know, I'm kind of convinced that there's H. pylori in, in water. And I don't know. I, I just really think that in the future we're going to hear a lot more about that. And I hope some people with some really big lungs, um, you know, speak up and, and really talk about that correlation to how genes get expressed that put us in this situation. That's just my yeah. – that's not my two cents, man. That's my $100 bill right there, right now in my life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, okay, well, you know me, the technical person over here doing 19 things at once. I think McCall is with us. <laughs> so, yay! Are you, are you Thyroid Nation thriving. Hello. How about that? We can hear you. Hi, McCall. Yay! How are you guys? I'm really good. Thanks. <laughs> nice. To well, meet we're you, McCall. Welcome. Yeah, this is this is my most amazing partner, friend, colleague, brilliant, brilliant. Uh, I guess you could say liaison between the patient and the doctors, but I want to call her my own medical guru, Tiffany Mladenich, who lives out in um, California. She's close to, um, well, she's in Yucca Valley, you know. 
Yeah, she's in. Josh she's close to Joshua Tree. Yeah. Tiffany, so nice to meet you. I'm glad we get to connect on here. Thanks for bringing us together. Absolutely, it's a pleasure to meet you as well. Well, um, can you guys hear me? Okay, in, I'm airpotting it we today. Can. Yeah, we can. No, um, before we get right. into before we get into a few things, I would love for um, I, I read your bio. We had a little rocky start, but sometimes that happens. That's just true life. Tiffany and I are both Hashimoto's patients. Uh, McCall, do you have your you are you a Hashimoto's patient as well? So I am. Yes, I right. actually okay. became a thyroid expert by way of being a patient. So right. um, I was 27, really, when, what's that? I said those are the best kinds, the docs that had to go right. through it. And those are the best, those are the best kinds. That's kind of how we get to the other side, I think. You know, I would have never known um, the desperation and the seriousness of hypothyroidism if I hadn't really experienced it myself and went to bed at 3.30 in the afternoon every day. Mm. Mm-hmm. Myself, mm-hmm. still, you know, it happened to me, and then you really learn how to have empathy for others. That's, wow, that's for sure. <laughs> it's it's so it's sure. to me because I I can feel that, like I can feel that you you remember that you remember that desperation, like you can pull it from the recesses of your mind quickly, and I think any thyroid patient kind of can. Uh, it's a scary place and not a fun place to be. So we're going to put it back in the recesses of our brain now. But it's, I could hear it in your voice, McCall, when you first said it. Yeah. And I relive it, you know, every day with my patients. I walk through it with them as well. So I get a pretty good day-to-day reminder of what life is like and what life was like for me, you know, 12 or so years ago. So, um, yeah, so that's how I ended up here. I got my life given back to me by my now business partner who really quickly became a mentor to me after he turned things around for me. And so um, now we get to give other people their lives back together. So it's a pretty full circle, full circle deal. So can you tell us a little bit more about how you got to that place of diagnosis and what preceded that? Was it stress? Was there some, we always just love to have a little bit of history on, on how you got to that place as a patient. Yeah, so I was already practicing medicine, so I'm a physician assistant. You guys probably saw that in my bio. And I was practicing just regular conventional medicine, and I was on levothyroxine and then eventually Synthroid and going to my doctor repeatedly saying, hey, hey, something's not right. I I can't function. All I do is go to work every day, and then I go home and I sleep, like, from 3.30 in the afternoon until I have to go to work the next day. You know, weekends were really, really spent either recovering from work or resting enough to prepare for the next week. So really my life became very, very small and kept going to my doctor and trying to, you know, really make him understand and was just repeatedly dismissed over and over again. So um, eventually I had found, you know, Stop the Thyroid Madness was one of the only advocacy groups back then. Um, And I found them and went to my doctor, you know, with my little post-it note of requested labs and said, hey, well, will you please just run these? Like, will you get a more in-depth panel about what's going on with my thyroid? Because even though you tell me my labs look good, I don't feel like like they're good. And I'm already licensed by the medical board. Like, I have some knowledge here. Will you trust me and and do a more in-depth analysis? And his response was like probably so many listeners. It was, oh, well, I'll go read about this 
you know, and I'll let you know, and came back and said no, that he wouldn't run those labs, that the only lab that mattered was TSH. And so out of desperation, um, I Googled, like, integrative medicine doctor Austin, where, where I live, where my practice is now, and saw one of the only docs in Austin back then and waited three months to see him, like so many other people in this situation, and saw him and really had a, a pretty significant turnaround in the next few months. So, you know, that's kind of my patient story. And then very quickly, obviously, I started to view medicine from a different, a different lens um, and ended up over the course of years, my patients kind of ultimately picked my thyroid niche for me because I ended up being pretty, pretty good at helping thyroid people, I guess, because I am one myself. So that is sort of the, the long, short story of how I ended up doing what I do. Uh-huh. And, and I apologize, forgive me. Did you say you were Hashimoto's or did you have uh, SIBO or something else that, um, you know, got you? Oh, that medically triggered it? Yeah. So what? I, I'm a celiac. So I'm a celiac patient. I have the uh-huh. autoimmune condition associated with gluten. And so, yeah, at one point that triggered Hashimoto's. Um, and then, you know, was very, very stressed, was working very hard, was kind of living on Amy's frozen vegetarian meals that I thought were like decently healthy. (laughs) Um, and then ended up like in a pretty significant Hashi state. Gotcha. Gotcha. So you continue to take medication. Yours was something, or are you currently in remission? And Yeah, so I am in remission for my Hashimoto's, right? I don't have the autoimmune antibodies, the autoimmune component of, of thyroid issues anymore. Um, and that's part of the beauty of functional medicine in, in the thyroid sphere. But I do still have hypothyroidism. There was certainly, certainly a permanent damage and permanent loss of function to my thyroid. Yeah, so I'm still right. on armor. I'm, I'm an armor thyroid person myself. You know, we'd love to ask that question because mm-hmm. it's really uh, important for people to understand that even in a state of remission, if you've had tissue destruction or you've had your thyroid removed or things like that, that it's, it's very important to know that there are some people many people actually that do still need to take their thyroid medication even though they are in remission. So we kind of like to just, you know, clarify that. <laughs> You'd be amazed at what we've heard. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, and I mean, it's really it's scary. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's very confusing. People think Hashimoto's and hypothyroidism are the same thing, you know, so they confuse the lines of, well, what can I do with my lifestyle and can I out-lifestyle hypothyroidism? And then Certain sectors of it, you know, with the activation of your hormones and obviously Hashimoto's, you can. But the vast majority of patients that I see, certainly in my clinic, are in some form or fashion medication dependent if they want, like, you know, a really, really high quality of life, if they want their life back. There's certainly lifestyle stuff we have to address to 100% of the time. But, yeah, their medication's a bit of a necessity for a lot of people. You're so right, Tiffany. Great. And, and you know, so many people think they can, you know, because they're in remission, they can stop their medication, and, and we've, you know, we've dealt with that and talked to people, and so that's the whole reason why we wanted to throw that out there. <laughs> it's really important. Yes, do not stop your thyroid medication. Yep. Do not. <laughs> and, you know, we do, we do hear that, and it's just, it's so crazy because, you know, um, 
help me, both of you, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I really feel like a lot of people are out there saying you can put your Hashimoto's into remission and yay, and, and make it um, seem as if putting it into remission means you're not ever going to take the medicine again by putting it into remission, yeah. that, that, that everybody is just off the medicine or that they insinuate or they imply that, you know, follow my program, do my book, do my this, do my that, and we'll put your Hashimoto's into remission and um, you won't have to take your medicine anymore. You can just, you know, cure yourself with yeah. essential oils yeah, or whatever it is. And really that's oh just my not God. the case. I know, I know, Tiff, I know. Super dangerous. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's super, super dangerous. Um, well, I think yeah, and what I... Mm-hmm. Go ahead, Michael. No, go ahead, Tiffany, please. No, you're the doc. I was going to say, you know, does that happen? Yeah, it, it can happen. But that's something, I mean, I've been on as much as 120, and now I'm down to 30. You know, I think that's, that's a journey between you and your physician. You know, uh, there's mm-hmm. many different ways people get there. And, you know, but you are significantly better person to answer this question. You know what I mean? Yeah, you know, I, I agree that there is no one-size-fits-all approach for, for Hashimoto's, for hypothyroidism. It is totally a, a particular journey with you and your doctor, and what works for someone definitely doesn't work for the next person. But the way that I kind of see that and the way that I view that is we don't put people's Hashimoto's into remission, or, you know, that's not what I'm working towards to get them off medication. I'm I'm trying to put them in remission really for a few reasons, mainly so that they preserve, you know, more loss of function of their thyroid gland because the higher your antibodies are, the more activated that autoimmune disease is, the more function you're losing every day and the more medication you're going to need. But even, you know, more importantly than that is the, the concept of you can use those Hashimoto's antibodies and lowering them as an indicator of your relative risk for developing another more serious autoimmune condition you can use that as basically, you know, a gauge for your overall inflammatory level um, because that's what, you know, we view as drives autoimmune disease as inflammation in the realm of functional medicine. So, um, yeah, you want to get those antibodies down, not so you don't need medication, but so you can improve your health, you can reduce your risk for developing, you know, lupus or MS or, or something as, uh, even more terrible than Hashi. So that's kind of my goal with people. Um, it's definitely not to get rid of Hashimoto's antibodies just to get them off medication, but it certainly will prevent an increase, right? Or as frequent increases in medication. Have you? I just a personal question because I have both Graves and Hashimoto's. Have you ever seen that presentation before? Absolutely, yeah. So I find that you know a lot of Graves uh, initially even over oversect with Hashimoto's and then you know what commonly ends up happening is that you know graves will kind of go into remission and people are left in a Hashi state but yeah I probably see more people with graves and Hashi combined than I see with only graves antibodies really and you my Mm -hmm. dear are the very first physician that I actually heard say that so I would love to give you a bullhorn (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> because, well, I think that's say it's not possible. I mean, it's really, you know, there's not a whole yeah. lot of documentation on it, and it's a real pickle. I can tell you that much. You, to live it is, you will, you know, is a very crazy. interesting deal. 
Yeah, I mean, and what is crazy is I literally had a, one of my Graves patients call me yesterday, and she also sees a regular endocrinologist. And so she'll send me the endocrinologist lab, and then they'll say, oh, well, you know, we'll just recheck it in six months. We don't really know. Technically, she's hypothyroid, but she's Graves at this point. But they, right. they're not even checking her Graves antibodies. So, you know, they, I hear over and over people come to me, oh, well, my endocrinologist says they think maybe I have Graves, but they don't know because they're not checking their antibodies. It's crazy. So what's happening is they don't know that you can have Graves and Hashi because they're not even checking antibodies for either a large majority of the time. I had my endocrinologist for 10 years, whom I love dearly, actually tell me that it wasn't possible because they couldn't figure out what was happening. I couldn't take more medication, even though my TSH was going higher and higher. But I had thyroid eye disease, which non-orbital presentation, which is a very rare presentation with solely Hashimoto's. It was actually the ophthalmologist that finally diagnosed me because he's, when he was doing an exam, he said, have you ever been tested for Graves' disease? And I just started laughing. I said, I've been asking for over a year for them to be to, to test mm. for it. And my endocrinologists, whom I love to death, have, you know, no, no ill feelings or anything toward him. He actually apologized to me and said, mm-hmm. you know, Tiffany, this is not just something we don't see very often. And I told him, I said, you know what, I think, honestly, I think it's more that you don't test for it. I don't think that it necessarily is that rare. I think it's just right. that conventional medicine puts these limitations on it and says, it's not possible that these can present at the same time. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. man, okay, she just hit my all-time number one favorite, Dana. Yep. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I know. this, like, seven and, minutes. Yay. Right? Right? And, and we, have, we do have many uh, we do have many favorites, but it's interesting to see um, how kind of it evolves and, and where we're at now. I just love that because um, I think McCall's pretty special too. So, um, okay, one thing I wanted to say just interestingly is that, or ask you guys both, is that if you do get your Hashimoto's into remission, and so, okay, here you are and you're living your life and you're doing your thing and everything's great, of course, you need to be, you know, testing and, and following up and things, but it can come back and not just because of what you're eating, right? Like you, your, your antibodies can increase and they can get worse, you know, in five, ten years with maybe, ch- you know, childbirth or certain different things can make those antibodies elevated and your Hashimoto's full-blown again. Is that correct? Yes, that's totally correct. So, you know, I kind of give, this is like a weird metaphorical analogy, but we're going deep here today, ladies. Um, I give the analogy of like water in a cup. And if you think about Hashimoto's as being driven by inflammation, every drop of inflammation is a drop of water in that cup. So whether it's food or whether it's shifts in our immune system post-childbirth, whether it's poor detoxification or poor water, where you guys were talking about Berkey water filters earlier, or poor genetics, whatever it is, everything's a drop of water in that cup. And we don't experience symptoms or autoimmune disease until that cup overflows. So we have the whole height of the cup to deal with that inflammatory responses and inflammatory insults um, before it triggers autoimmune disease. So let's say we get you into remission. That means the water level in the cup is no longer at the tippy top where any drop of, you know, whatever it is, 
Chick-fil-A overflows the cup, right? Now we've got room and leeway in our inflammatory levels. Um, so years down the road, let's say you have a child and you get shifts in your immune system, you move into a house with mold, whatever it is, your level starts raising again. Well, all it takes is getting to the top of that cup again and then a tiny drop of water, you know, gluten exposure, whatever it could be, triggers that eruption of overflow and, and activates that autoimmune disease again. So it's not like it's all diet or it's not like it's all one thing. It's all this inevitable inflammation that we get that if we can't properly deal with it or mitigate enough of it, then we'll get back to a Hashi state. Does that make sense? Yeah, it, it does. My, what I was wondering. My question is, other than the autoimmune disease being present, how do you identify inflammation? In other words, you know, sed rate or CRP or whatever. What if someone has a perfectly normal sed rate, CRP? I mean, like blood work just looks normal. And obviously there's a, yeah. a large inflammatory state there. Is emotional inflammation a different thing? Is that measurable by a different standard? Or do you understand what I'm saying? If a sed rate and a CRP is normal, then how can a patient mm-hmm. wrap their head around this large amount of inflammation if it's not even showing up on those two tests anyways? Yes, so I would say assume if you're in Hashi, you've got inflammation, and then you want to look for inflammatory one, clinical symptoms. So that's like joint pain, brain fog, malaise, fatigue, digestive issues, you know, a swelling kind of puffiness, that systemic inflammatory look. So all of those things are kind of telltale signs. And then the way that I gauge um, influenceable inflammation, so meaning like what can we influence directly with black and white answers for me the first thing i go to with my hashi patients is inflammatory food testing like igg inflammatory food testing and then i can see is food creating a ton of inflammation for them um often functional medicine is rooted in the gut when we look for inflammation and so a lot of that inflammation will show up in either food testing or gut testing so in-depth gut testing that looks at you know inflammatory markers like secretory iga and help, you know, markers for IBS and IBD, that sort of thing. Gotcha. Huh. Does that make sense? Okay. Yeah, definitely. Um, and just, uh, just just a quick little side note, you know, I was thinking about both of you guys, you know, McCall, your doctor who wasn't testing and um, the things that, you know, he needed to be testing and Tiff, you know, same thing with you and, and um, thinking of Mary Showman, who's been on our show, one of our favorites. Um, something that she does, and, you know, had we known this and and if we could go back and change things, um, but she suggested on several shows ago that um, you ask the doctor to write that down on a piece of paper that I I will not, I am not testing for this test that you asked for and sign it and then you Mm. sign it and then make a copy and keep asking to keep that in, you know, the, the folder and then you take a copy home. Nine times out of ten, she said, they always end up giving you the test that, that you that asked for. That is brilliant. Is that brilliant? That is brilliant. I know. I know. That is brilliant. And right? even, as far as medical, even as far as medical coding is concerned, a lot of physicians that I see with patients will use the, you know, excuse that, you know, this is not going to be covered under your insurance. You know, a lot of times the coding is what makes that covered, so, you know, it can be a little bit harder for their office folks on diagnosis and stuff like that. But, I, you know, yeah. But the Mary Showman thing, I think that was life-changing 
for so many patients. Truly. Yeah, that because is really brilliant. That gives you and, the, the power, right? That gives the patient the mm-hmm. power. And, and you know, nine times out of ten, or probably ten times out of ten, the doctor's going to go, oh, okay, well, yeah, I'm, I'm going to make this work with the coding. I'm going to figure this out for you. <laughs> right. Right, because well, that's what it is. It's that and then not wanting to feel like you don't understand what it is when the results come back, too, is I think part of the struggle for mm-hmm. clinicians mm-hmm. is, well, gosh, if I check this, I might be admitting to the patient knowing more about this than maybe I right. do. And that's right. a scary thought for people who don't want to constantly learn and evolve. So, yeah, it, it's it's kind of a racket. And then the sad thing that I see with my patients who, who have obviously explored other options before they come to me, I'm usually kind of a last resort scenario, um, is they'll finally talk their doctors into ordering the labs, and then their doctors don't know what to do with the labs. So it's just it's frustrating for people. I know it is. I really see it every day. I'm I'm currently in that situation right now with a TSH of 29 and yet my Are you kidding? Uh, no, oh my, my TSH goodness. is 29 and my free T3 is like 3.2. My T4 however is like 0.6 or something like that. But mm. I feel great. This is the funny Yeah, I was going to say wait a second though. Wait wow. a second McCall. you got that She's opposite woman in every possible way. So, I remember um, you telling me that. Yes, she is. Uh-huh. And so ask her how she's feeling, truly. Tiff, how are you feeling? Yeah, I feel fine. I'm just um, waiting, for a, um, waiting for surgery on a cyst in my left ovary that's fairly large, and uh, my appendix mm-hmm. is enlarged, but I'm not in any pain. And no surgeon will give me clearance to have the surgery because uh, because of my Graves antibodies. Graves presents much bigger problem in surgery mm. than uh, a TSH of 28. Although I have to admit, the TSH of 28 is freaking my primary care out. But I feel <laughs> fine. I have I have no brain fog. I have no joint pain. I have no inflammation, according to anybody, but um, it's definitely, I I swear to God, I'm going to write a book someday because, uh, you know, I'm so grateful to have had this journey uh, because I think it's amazing. And I wish everybody, we've said this to, you know, um, Dr. Christensen and Isabella and, you know, so many docs that we've interviewed, Aviva Rahm that we wish that everybody could have a physician like McCall and these other doctors that we've talked to. But what's really sad is majority of us do not. So, you know, that's one of the reasons why we ask you so many questions, McCall, that may seem like, uh, you know, they're just ridiculously simple, but you would just, you would just be like, and I'm sure you hear it from your patients where you're just like, I can't even believe that that, was a conversation or that someone had told you I was talking to a woman the other day where her physician was telling her she just needed to uh, eat less and work out more. And when I hear that, my, uh, or my they're depressed. I hate that. Like, they right? blame oh my that. gosh. I mean, that's <laughs> obviously their physician never read the study of women with uh, hypothyroidism that were fed an average of 600 calories and they still gained on average like two pounds a week. I mean, come on, right. folks. It's, it's, uh, so we wish everyone had a doctor like you, but sadly many, mm-hmm. many of us don't, you know? 
I do think, you know, my, my hope and certainly my goal long-term is to help train clinicians um, in the ways of, of what I do and how I do things because I, I see so many eager ones with good intentions who really want to know. But, you know, unfortunately, thyroid disease and hypothyroidism is, is extraordinarily complex and much more complex than medicine has realized thus far. Um, so my hope is to train other people to figure it out and learn how to do it and get experience so that, you know, more people have access. And then in general, I think, you know, I really believe that thyroid care has to change soon because, unfortunately, levothyroxine is the number one most prescribed medication in America. And for the vast majority of people or for a heck of a lot of them, it does not work no matter how much they get. So, and it leads to diabetes when it's poorly managed and elevated cholesterol and all of these, you know, sequential issues that could be solved if people just got adequate thyroid care. So I think just the burden that it causes on people, on humans, but also on our medical system is so big that it's going to shift soon. I really, really do believe that. And I hope that. It is shifting. Tiffany and I have been talking about this. And in the very beginning, when we started the show, we were hoping for shifts and things like that. And then, you know, as the show evolved and years passed, it, it feels like people are catching on. It really does. I mean, maybe mm-hmm. not my mom, who has never listened to any of these shows. My poor mom, if she were to ever listen to them, we, we, I use her a lot, and, and, and I'm teasing <laughs> and, and, and some of the ways. But, you know, she really just takes her levothyroxine and doesn't ask any questions and has all the symptoms mm-hmm. and just thinks that that's just part of her life. And so there's those people right, who – Right, this is their life now. That's their life. And so, so those sad. people, I'm not right. sure we can get to them just yet. I mean – I, I wish we could, but she's 76 and or 77 yeah. now, and I just don't. I just it just breaks my heart, really. Yeah, and it breaks my heart you know, because you know doctors are telling them that's their new normal when they're 27 because they just had a kid and then they live for the rest of their lives like that because they believe that. Mhm. Right. Right. You know, and and even, you know, I use my father as an example. You know, he's 91. He's done great and everything. He's been on levothyroxine for 50 years or more. But he also Mm -hmm. ended up with prostate cancer. And there are some, you know, associations really deep down in medical literature on that. And yet none of his physicians will even pay it a lick of, you know, of attention, which is very frustrating, you know. Let's mm-hmm. talk about co-infections, though. I want to ask you about co-infections because I think one of the only reasons that I'm actually functional and feeling well is, of course, all of the information and knowledge that we've learned over the years with Thyroid Nation um, has been just a tremendous blessing uh, to me personally. And um, But co-infections, you know, I think sometimes people focus, or I should say physicians, you know, obviously not you, but focus so heavily on the thyroid uh, and not necessarily integrative medicine either, but they focus so heavily on that TSH and even free T4 and free T3, and yet they don't necessarily focus on SIBO or H. pylori or all of the co-infections and situations that people can be in, nutrient deficiencies, stuff like that. What are some of the top things that you see as causative triggers of of Hashimoto's and even Graves for people, for your patients? Yeah. So, you know, I kind of, I operate a lot like an onion. So I, I deal with the outer few most common layers first, and then I go deeper, right? 
So I, I usually start with, you know, antioxidant deficiencies like glutathione. Um, I deal with food inflammation because in, you know, three weeks I can basically get the vast majority of inflammation from food out if I have in black and white, you know, what is triggering inflammation from people. In that category, the number one thing that I see in, you know, my Hashi patients is, is dairy, strangely. Um, so that is kind of the food. Then you go deeper, and I look at the gut, which dysbiosis in general is, is a very big issue. After that would be SIBO. Um, and, you know, from there, I don't go too far into the realm of co-infections like Epstein-Barr and that sort of thing. If I get to a point where I've reached a halt, and I'm not making enough headway with someone's Hashimoto's, I, and I think that they have some kind of a co-infection, I actually refer them out. I would say about 98% of my patients with Hashimoto's come in with Epstein-Barr antibodies when I've checked them. The problem is that at 98% of people in the population have Epstein-Barr, so I don't know how much that skews my perception. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, and then, you know, SIBO certainly goes hand-in-hand hand with hypothyroidism, mostly because their hypothyroidism people don't have stomach acid to keep, keep that bacteria from colonizing and proliferating. So the two definitely go hand-in-hand hand on that front. I think that might be raise-my-hand moment. I think SIBO may be, may be next on my testing um, list. But, um, Okay, so I want to ask both of you. I mean, I know we're kind of just jumping around in the show, and I apologize for that. But I'm just so excited. We haven't been on the show. We haven't had the show for, for a while, so I'm just so excited to be on with McCall and, and Tiffany. So I'm just kind of – all these things are popping up. But, like, you know, thinking back, McCall, um, what do you think are the top few things that if you could, you know, tell yourself at, at 27 or whenever it was that you got diagnosed, like what three things would you want to know that you didn't know then? that you know now. Um, and same goes for you, Tiff. Yeah. So the number one thing that I would say is there is no reason to still have thyroid symptoms. So don't stop until you find someone who can lead you through the entirety of that process until you no longer have symptoms because that is very true. And I see that in my own life, but also in the lives of my patients. Um, that's probably the first thing. The second thing would be, gosh, it would be, you know, inflammatory food for me personally is a make or break deal. Is that if I have everything lined up very, very well, if I eat inflammatory food and I get gut inflammation, I feel worn down. So for me, that's a key part of my thyroid recovery and my Hashimoto's recovery, obviously. And then you know, lastly, I had no idea that that the kinds of medication that that were out there and the precision and dosing would mean the difference for me between living a life as a mom and as a business owner and an entrepreneur and a clinician um, between, you know, living a healthy and vibrant life in those manners or, you know, barely surviving. And ultimately, I'd be on disability by now if if my uh, if my partner hadn't given me my back, my life back, but those would be my top three. That's a good question. That's a great Tiffany. That's a yeah. great question. Yeah, and I want to get uh, back to my, precision of dosing um, as soon as Tiffany answers. Right? So we'll come back to that, McCall. Yeah, precision. I want to my, get back to that. But <laughs> Tiffany, you give us the, your three. Mine's going to be pretty quick. I mean, 
I think genetics for me was huge mm. uh, in knowing that um, Graves was part of a, a potential picture. You know, not that it's necessarily going to be expressed, but I think it's very good to know, uh, and I think mm-hmm. it can help clinicians be more accurate with faster dosing. If they know what actually is there, potentially, doesn't mean it's going to happen. Uh, that's one thing I would have done absolutely right off the bat. Um, second thing would have been just really accurate testing, like good testing from the beginning. Um, you know, of course, you know, because for me, I was diagnosed with, with uh, Hashimoto's before my TSH ever fell in a treatable range. And then four years found out that I had a, uh, an active Epstein-Barr, very large episode uh, that was long. Mm. So for me, I kind of feel like Hashimoto's and hypothyroidism is sort of my secondary problem, but it became a primary focus. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think that that left me with lots of symptoms for many years. Um, and I love when McCall says, you know, uh, symptom management you know you don't need to live like that you don't I had crushing brain fog my husband used to have to walk me through the grocery store on the phone to remember because I forgot the list and oh my god just crushing fatigue and awful brain fog I thought I've got four kids I am never going to make it you know joint pain that felt like I'd been hit by a car every day you know and this is it was awful so I love that McCall said that. It's so true. I mean, look at me. Technically, on paper, I'm a flipping mess, but I feel well, and my life is moving forward, and I am looking forward to the future, and I'm not worried all the time, and blah, blah, blah. So those would be my quick three. Okay, and really quickly, just so you know, also, McCall, when I told you she's opposite woman, she's also been a food-controlled diabetic (laughs) since how long, Tiff? I mean, I just want to throw it out there because our listeners who listen to the show have heard that before but truly what a magnificent we are going to we are going to um donate your body to medical science when when you're gone because holy cow so much to learn from you my my next stop is i've been referred to ucla endocrinology because they're all shaking their head going i'm not really sure what to do and, you know, I'm, I'm okay with, I'm like, you know what, you guys can take your time. I'm good because, you I'm know, feeling fine. I'm, I'm feeling fine. <laughs> so what yeah, I mean, what a way to advocate for your health and take control, you know. It's the epitome oh, of it. I mean, my, my doctors have all been, uh, and the, the kicker is, is I was, I've had kidney failure twice, liver failure once. My first kidney failure was six years old uh, because my mother had mm-hmm. long-term um, you know, my brother was a stillborn at eight and a half months, and I mean, we've we've been through awful thyroid undiagnosed nightmares with my with my mother. So, you know, all you know, if I had to give myself one piece of advice, it would be like fight like hell. And I tell that to everybody that I talk to with thyroid problems that doesn't feel well. I tell them. Demand politely and fight like hell because when you walk out of that doctor's office, you go home with that brain and those eyes and that gum tissue and that joint pain and that brain fog. And, you know, they're so overwhelmed, they're not going to think another thought about you. And you're going to go home and you're going to suffer like that. So we need 
this is patient advocacy time, more importantly than ever. You fight like hell. This is your life. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and many that are incredibly intelligent people are, their hands are tied. They're not really sure what to do with this information because care falls so much outside of what they have been taught. And we as patients need to shake that up. We need to wake up and be like, I need you now here. And if you can't do this for me, with me, then I'm going to have to go look for another doctor. Yeah, I I mean, yeah, I was just going to say that, you know, that's, um, I think one of the things I would say to, um, to myself, uh, not three things, just one thing, because there's so many things I would say is, is your body is designed to feel better. It's not an aging. It's not a this. It's not a that. Your body always wants to feel better. So if you're not feeling right, there's something up. Listen to your body. Your body's wise. Right. And so, right. you know, yeah. I just never really knew that growing up. Like, I just kind of thought it was just this how things happen. You go, and then you when you're 20, and then when you're 30, and then when you're 40, and when you're 50, this is how the things that kind of just happen. I never really thought of it as my body is always working to feel well and wants to be in homeostasis and wants to be balanced. And so I think that would have opened my eyes a little bit to say, you know, I deserve to feel better. I need to start asking questions. And also, uh, back to the precision of, of medication dosing, you know, like, I didn't realize that it was, it could be the way, it could be so great. And, and I want you to elaborate on, on precision and, and getting your medications right, if you don't mind, Nicole, because, you know, I just, it's, it's, it's one of those things, you, you, you realize your body wants to be in homeostasis, you go to see your doctor, um, and, and you want to feel better right then. It's like it's just too exciting. You're like, okay, I, I get it now. I'm there. Now let's just do it. What, what do we need to know? <laughs> tell us. Tell us. Yeah. So, you know, first you, you need obviously the right labs, which I'm sure you guys have discussed ad, ad nauseum, which is, you know, TSH, free T4, free T3, reverse T3, and then Hashimoto's and Graves antibodies, if, if there's any suspicion of Graves at all. Um, but then you have to take that data and you can't just slap a person on a medication and then, you know, start with 25 micrograms of levothyroxine and get labs, you know, in three to six months and say, oh, we'll just try the next dose up and we'll see what happens. I mean, people can go through that for decades and, and be miserable the entire time. So what I've found, and this is really my area of expertise, and this is where, you know, my definitely my niche is, is in the intricacies of, of medication management and really optimizing a person's biochemistry intentionally, meaning um, if a person comes to see me, we review their whole biochemical panel together and we, I manipulate it with precision. So I actually change people's dosing of their medication over the course of two to four weeks in microscopic incremental dose changes so that I can take them very, very far into their treatment um, and not change them one dose at a time because by the time people make it to me, it would take me five years to give them back their life at that rate. Um, so I'm able to sort of predict where, right, where their labs are going to land based on my medication changes. And that's what I want physicians and clinicians to learn is that there's, an, there's an, a lot of, you know, precision that needs to be had and, and a lot of intention that needs to be paid because they're, the likelihood, at least in my patient population, of someone just happening to land on the right medication dose by luck is very small. You know, I believe that people who are minutely 
out of the range of, of my range of what's okay. And, and I can certainly, you know, give you guys a link in the show notes where people can download my thyroid lab guide so they can see my ranges. But, yes. um, you know, my ranges are so extraordinarily narrow. If, there, if anything is outside of those ranges, one of four, you know, numbers, people, I see them debilitated with symptoms. But as soon as everything's very tightly controlled, as far as hypothyroidism goes with medication, um, they, it's kind of like a light switch comes on and people get their life back. Um, I really believe that it can't be a guessing game. We can't just hope for the best when we put people on thyroid medication. And I think that's why so many people are suffering continuously with hypothyroid symptoms despite being managed even with the right medications, even with, you know, Armour Thyroid or Cytomel or whatever it is. People think that, oh, I tried that medication. It didn't work. But that's truly not the case. If it's, if it's done very, very well and precisely, I, I believe that it's a controllable, predictable thing, the ability to give someone their life back with hypothyroidism, if, if, it's, if people know what they're doing. Wow. Interesting. Now, do you ever go every other day? In other words, they take a standard dose every day. And then for some people, they go a little bit hyper, so you go every other day on a supplemental increment. Do you ever have patients that have something like that? So, you know, the only medication that that would truly work with is levothyroxine um, or Synthroid or T-Resynth, so a completely T4-based medication that gets in people's system very slowly over the course of weeks. That would work. I do use levothyroxine, Synthroid, that kind of thing, always in conjunction with T3, so always in conjunction right. with some form of active thyroid medication. And those medications uniquely, and this is a pearl that I think people would love to know, but in my practice and the way that I teach people to, to do thyroid is very much all T3-based medications have to be dosed twice a day. So in the morning and around 2 to 3 p.m., because their half-life is so short, the active component of, of that, the T3's half-life is so short, so giving someone a T3-based medication every other day would be so hard on them because they would feel good, depending on the medication, anywhere from three to eight hours, and then they would crash, and then they'd have to wait two more days before they'd feel okay again in terms of their T3, adequate T3 levels. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Now, does that are you talking about just uh, like Cytomel, Lyothyronine only, or are you talking about including like mm-hmm. Armour and things like that that are T4, T3 combinations? Including T4, T3 combinations. So the T3 and Armour peaks and troughs in about six to eight hours. So if you give someone, and you'll notice, if you give someone Armour and you get their TSH within a reasonable range and you get everything within a reasonable range, you'll notice that they say that they're crashing at 3 p.m. And it's because they only have T3 that gets them through that 2 to 3 p.m. Um, so, mm-hmm. yeah, and so you'll notice that, and, and it's even a difference in labs. So if you check someone's labs when they wake up in the morning when they haven't taken their armor for a full day, their T3 will be markedly way, way, way lower than it will be at its peak when you check it three to four hours after they take their medication. Interesting. And if wow. they dose around 3 o'clock or whatever, that's not going to affect their sleep at all. I because don't, I mean, maybe. Time, right? right. And maybe I have one person a year that does that. And I mean, I see thyroid patients all day, every day. Wow. 
Wow. Yeah. And that's something that I do very differently than 99% of clinicians. Huh. I love that. I want you as my doctor. <laughs> <laughs> I am the doctor for the 3 p.m. crash people. Those are my people. I love for sure. that. I love that. That's fantastic. <sighs> okay. Well, um, I am, I am happy. I'm empowered. I'm, I'm feeling good. What do you guys think? I yes. think so. I think I'm I, flying off. <laughs> yeah, well, you're welcome anytime, for sure. Yeah, I will. Um, I'll put up a link to my thyroid lab guide on my website so people can go to McCallMcPherson.com forward slash gifts. It's not up there right now, but I'll be sure and do it in the next week or two. So hopefully by the time this is publicly released, it'll be up already. So people can go and get an idea of where I would want their labs, where my, my ranges are for my patients. And that's a little more empowering. Cool. The more knowledge you have, the more empowered you are. Hmm. Oh, I love that. Sure. Um, Okay, well, uh, we, you know, McCall, I know, is working on some uh, really exciting things. I won't share them with you right now, but we usually kind of ask uh, that of our guests. We say, you know, what's coming up in the future and what kind of things can we expect and things. But we're going to save that for another episode um, today. But we want to thank you so much for joining us. This has been just a really great, great show. I love talking to Tiff. I love talking to you. Um, I just really appreciate you joining us. Yeah, thanks, ladies, for having me. And thank you so much for advocating for all of these people and giving them the information that they need. I've been one of them, and without people like you, I would not be able to be where I am today with a family and, you know, with energy and and brain function even. So thank you guys so much, and thanks for having me. Absolutely, absolutely. Yep, we appreciate you next time. All righty. Take care, ladies. Bye. <laughs> okay, bye. Bye. How fun, right? Oh, yeah. Are we? Yeah, we're still going. Yeah, we're, we were, I was going to end the show okay. here with you. I just, uh, I think she already, um, I think she hung up. But that was, that was great. You know, she's, I just, I wanted to get into, um, we'll, we'll have her back on the show, but I wanted to get into um, one of her TED Talks because she told me a little bit about it, and um, she was just talking about how, up. yeah, oh, definitely. Um, well, actually, we should probably include that in the show notes, too, because I think it's very, very interesting. One of the things she was talking about was um, on, her, on her TED Talk, she mentioned was that she really um, treats her patients as people and how significant of a change that can make um, in just that interaction and treating them as as real people and um, maybe thinking about them when they go home. You know, like you were talking about earlier, saying, you know, uh, we have to be empowered, you know, uh, because the doctor doesn't think about you when they leave. But maybe, you know, maybe that's one of the key components that that can change things. And so I I really think it's fascinating. I haven't watched it yet either, and I wanted to talk to her about it, but we'll, we'll save that for another time. Anyway, I just um, thanks for joining me, Tiff. I, I know we haven't had a show in a long time, and this is really fun. I really miss you, so um, I really, really appreciate it. I, I hope that all the listeners over the years have have gleaned tons of uh, great tips and things um, as much as Tiffany and I have, because it's just been phenomenal. Right, right. You know, it sure has, honey. Yep, definitely, yep. definitely. 
Okay, well, as always, a very big thank you to our listeners, to you. And if you get a free moment and you enjoy our show, we'd love an iTunes review. It would make our day. If you've missed any of the shows, you can, um, Thyroid Nation Radio Podcast, you can download them from iTunes. And please make sure to follow Thyroid Nation on Facebook and check out thyroidnation.com and sign up for our newsletter. And, of course, we're on all the social media platforms, too. Um, so that's my spiel. What do you got to say, Tiff? What we always do, honey, most importantly, we always want to remind you that wellness is a journey and takes continual maintenance and evaluation. We wish you all had a doctor like McCall. Make sure, most importantly, that you are always listening to your own body. Be mindful of what it is telling you and share that with your physician and hold them responsible to make those uh, according changes so that you can thrive in this beautiful life. Hmm. That just makes me happy. I love that we say that on every show. Okay, guys, this right? is Dana. And Tiffany. Your Thyroid Nation Thrivers bringing the collective voice of Thyroid Thrivers worldwide so that together, united we heal. See you next time. Bye.